Welcome to Thrive Church Podcast. Join Pastor Kevin Bordeaux as he explores the word giving insightful solutions for day-to-day challenges. We pray this message encourages you throughout your day. You can also visit www.thrivechurch.me. Now on to today's message. Welcome to Thrive Church this morning. How's everybody doing? Y'all sound good, sound good. Some of you do, the rest of you aren't sure yet how you're doing. Well, I'm Kevin, a lead pastor. Great to have you guys with us today. If you're a first-time guest, make sure you take your connection card that you got from one of our hosts and put it in the blue basket beside our TV over there. We'd love to stay in touch with you and let you know what's happening at Thrive. Today what's happening is we are in week 12 of our Grapes and Giants series in the book of Ephesians. Um, Every summer, if you're new here to Thrive, what we do is our third summer uh, as a church is we go through a book of the Bible verse by verse and break that book down and share that. And it's been exciting uh, the past several weeks. You've also got a taste of our teaching team. Uh, Last week you had uh, Pastor Mark from the Richmond City Campus here. Did you guys enjoy him? Good deal. Some of you did. Uh, I'll let let him know that the rest of you did not enjoy him. And I'm joking here. You got got to laugh with me, man. Got to have fun. And so you've seen some of our teaching team. Usually what happens is, is at 9 a.m. I'm here preaching, 10 a.m. I'm there, and 11 a.m. I'm back here preaching again, uh, running through the two campuses. And so sometimes you'll have other uh, uh, other campus pastors uh, teaching here. Today you got me. I'm so sorry if you're a first-time guest. I apologize for everything that I will say. We have people who can counsel you through when I get finished today. Go ahead and turn to Ephesians 6.13. We're going to finish out Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians 6.13. I don't know about you, but I grew up playing football. I love the game of football. Matter of fact, we'll start flag football next month here at Thrive on Sundays. And um, we will not have pads. But when I played football, we had to use pads. And we had knee pads. We had even these little knee, uh, we had thigh pads and then these little knee pads that would cover your knee. We had the, the shoulder pads. We had helmets. Um, we had cups. Uh, we had everything. And I say that because we had pads to protect us in the places that we could get injured at, right? Uh, The same thing is true if you're uh, in the armed forces. When you go out to battle, you will wear uh, certain uh, pads or armor that will protect you from getting attacked in certain areas. And the same is true in your spiritual life. Is that you have to put armor or pads on to protect you from the enemy that comes at you. Realize if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ in here, I want to encourage you. You're going to get attacked by the enemy. That's encouraging, isn't it? Welcome to Thrive Church. Um, But you're going to face that. And so today what we're going to look at is Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And he actually shares with them how to come against those attacks that will happen to you from the enemy. Let's go ahead and pray before we get started. God, we thank you again for a beautiful, awesome day to worship you, Lord. A chance to sing your praises. I thank you for a chance to gather together in freedom with other believers in this place today. Now as we look to your word, I pray that you would help us to engage our minds, to listen and to receive your word. And God, to understand how to be protected against the attacks of the enemy. And I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts up to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look at Ephesians 6.13. I'm going to read uh, verses 13 through 24 to you here. And you'll find them on your screen as well. And I want to outline for you here what Paul is going to share with the Ephesians. His last words to them and the church that he loved so much. And watch what he shares to them. Um, Last week you heard about the real war that you'll face and the spiritual war. Then he says in verse 13, therefore. So you got to listen to last week's message to understand. 
Put on every piece of God's armor. Why? So you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Now, I want you to realize the armor that, you, that you've been given is to help you to resist your spiritual enemy, Satan, in the time of evil. Now, we don't know what Paul means by the time of evil here. Um, there's no clear outline. But what we do understand is, is that these guys in Ephesus were going through extreme persecution. And that was their time of evil. See, I don't know what your time of evil is. I don't know if it's at your job. It may be even with your spouse. And you're going to understand today that your spouse is not your enemy. I don't know where it's at, but we will all face a time of evil where we're attacked by the enemy. And God wants us to watch this in uh, the rest of 13. Then after the battle, you'll be able, you'll be standing firm. Excuse me, you'll be standing firm. Now watch this in verse 14. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. We're in the New Living Translation version. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on the salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Verse 18 says, pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. That's a lot of prayer, isn't it? All right, much more than we, we engage on a daily basis. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. The whole group in the first century were going through extreme persecution. He was calling them to pray. In verse 19, Paul says this, and pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan. Watch this, that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. That's Jews and non-Jews. So if you're non-Jew, it's for you. If you're a Jew, it's for you. We both need the gospel. Verse 20 says, I am in chains now. Paul is in prison for preaching the gospel and wrote this letter from, the prison, from prison. Still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. To bring you up to date, Tychicus, Tychicus, Tychicus. Say that three times fast. You couldn't even do it, could you? Don't name your child Tychicus. Here's the point of this message. Because you know what his nickname will be? Tick. It's just not cool. So Tychicus. Tychicus will give you, that's just a weird name. I mean, it's just, the more you say that, the more weird it gets, right? You ever have words like that? The more you say that word, like swamp. 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 I'm sorry. Tychicus will give you a full report about what I am doing and how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and faithful helper in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we're doing and to encourage you. So Paul's in prison, he's writing this letter, and he sends Tychicus, we otherwise known as Tick, over to um, Ephesus to follow up with them and check in on them. Then he says in verse 23, Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters, and may, the, and may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ uh, give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is Paul's last words to the church at Ephesus. Over 2,000 years ago, Paul wrote this letter to the church that he founded. And we read that in Acts 19. One of the distinctives about Ephesus was they were very high in the occult in witchcraft. 
The reason we know that is that they worship the goddess Artemis or Diana. And so they all worship this false goddess. And so the city was high in the occult realm. And you read that last week as Paul spoke on spiritual warfare. Not only that, but the city of Ephesus became increasingly um, um, hateful of the gospel. And you read that in Acts 19. Remember the Aristarchus and Gaius were dragged with Paul to the amphitheater. 25,000 people shouting, great is Artemis, great for two hours. They were ready to kill Paul. Now I know you got it tough as a Christian, but nobody's threatened to kill you this week for being a Christian, have they? Maybe because you've been doing something wrong, but not because you're a Christian. <laughs> and so you, the persecution in Ephesus in the first century was high, much greater than where we're at in America today. I do believe we will get there soon, though, with the persecution of Christianity. And so what happened was Paul penned this letter to them and he said, I want you to be able to stand against the enemy when it all comes flooding in on you. Well, then how would they do that? Paul outlines what he calls the armor of God in Ephesians 6, 13 through 17. I'm going to look at that with you this morning and we're going to look at the armor. Now, um, if you've been saved more than three weeks, you've probably heard a sermon about the armor. Um, I remember being in youth ministry and one of the guys came to speak and he wore armor. He had like the big Roman hat on, you know, the things that you see in Spartacus or those shows. Uh, what's that? Gladiator. Trying to think, um, 300, trying to think of those movies. We, none of us watch those, but you've, you've heard about them, right? You're way too holy for those things, guys. Come on. Step it up. Um, so, at um, any rate, you, know, you can picture those guys there. I watch guys come in with the armor and they're saying, in the mornings, you got to say, I'm going to put on my helmet of salvation and my breastplate of righteousness and my shield of faith. And, and that was all cool. And I'd get in the mornings, I'd quote the armor. Then I'd get my butt kicked. I thought, man, this is not working. So something's wrong. As I begin to study this and go through it, what you've got to realize are a couple of things here. First of all, that you're in Christ. And Christ is in you if you have believed upon the Lord Jesus. That he died and rose again three days after um, he died, he rose again. And he is Lord of all. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you're in Christ. The Bible says Christ is in you. Remember Ephesians 1. If you didn't listen to it, listen to it. And so by default... You've got to realize you have the armor. Because you know what the armor is? Or rather, who the armor is? It's Jesus. Think about it. Think about it. The, we'll go through the belt of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. Jesus is truth. Um, or you may look at the, the peace that we look at. Jesus is also called the prince of... You guys are doing good this morning. Uh, Jesus is all those things to us. And when you study the armor of God, you can't get the armor of God just by quoting it. You've got to, number one, know that God in Christ has given you armor to protect yourself. And then number two, the way you use the armor is to know that for every piece of armor you have, that's where attacks will come at. Right? They give you a helmet in football. Why? Because somebody's going to hit you in the head. <laughs> They don't give you a helmet in basketball, do they? Because people shouldn't be hitting you in the head. So armor is there to protect you against the attacks that you're going to have. So number one, as you walk through this, what you have to do in the mornings is thank Jesus that he is all that to you. And then number two, got to realize the enemy will attack you in the very areas that God has armed you in to come against his schemes. And let's look at these pieces of armor this morning, the next few minutes that we have. 
The first one that Paul outlines in Ephesians 6 is the belt of truth. The belt of truth. And verse 14 says this. Stand your ground putting on the belt of truth. The belt of truth. See, um, in those days, um, and I was going to wear a big Roman gladiator suit, but we're like such a shoestring budget church. We're like, man, forget that. We'll just make them use their imagination. So imagine I have a Roman gladiator suit on. Use your imaginations. Come on. There you go. And the belt was the first thing Paul mentioned because the belt was key to a gladiator in that time or to a Roman soldier. Because the belt held together other pieces of the armor that was on their body. The belt was central to everything. And so Paul says the first piece of armor that we must understand that is key against the enemy is the belt of truth. Why is that? Because in our life, truth, listen to me, is central to walking in the destiny that God's given you. Truth is central. Jesus even described himself. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So Jesus himself is truth. So the first place the enemy is going to attack you is in the area of truth. Because Satan is called what? The father of lies. He is a deceiver even from the beginning. And so the area that you're going to face the most attacks in is being deceived about the plan of God for your life and about you being a child of God. And you'll face those attacks coming. Now maybe you don't face that, but I know I do. I mean, you'll be like, nobody cares about me. God doesn't have a plan for me. My life's going down the drain. And you'll come up with all these deceiving ideas about life. That's not truth. And Jesus wants to give you truth about your situation. See, truth is central to any society. That's what Jesus said, I am the truth. He didn't say I am the relative truth, I am the truth. And in that day and time, truth was relative to everybody in Ephesus. Okay? It was relative. Well, in this day and time, our country is rejecting absolute truth. As I studied, um, you know, at East Carolina University, you're taught, first of all, there is no absolute truth. That whatever's true for you is true for you. Whatever's true for me is true for me. That's what you're taught in our universities. And the problem with that teaching is, especially if you're a follower, if you're not a follower of Christ, go for it. But if you're a follower of Christ, that's not biblical. What's good for you and true for you is true for you. And what's true for me is true for me. And we're all good. Jesus said, I am the truth. And realize this too, when you reject absolute truth, all you have is relative truth remaining. I shared this several weeks ago, and I'm going to remind you again because I know you have the gift of amnesia. (laughs) You forget easily, like I do. That if you're a believer, your standard of life and your standard of living is found in in, in the Bible, in God's word. It's not found in what's good for you is good for you and good for me is good for me. Because good for me before I knew Jesus was stealing your money and selling you fake drugs. Is that cool if I keep doing that to you? No, it's not. So that own theory that we have is not good. When you follow Jesus, you're not to live to make yourself happy. Well, God wants whatever makes you happiest. You know that that's what most believe. If I ask you today, what does God want for your life? Whatever makes me happy. Do you know what God's concerned about? Not your happiness, but his glory being spread throughout the earth. The gospel being perpetrated throughout the earth. He's concerned about his glory first and your goodness second. And if you're trying to live in a place to make you happy that's contradicting giving God glory, then you're living in a place where there is no truth. 
And here's what it looks like. You know, when I grew up, we all wore our pants, and some of y'all may still do this, around, you know, your pants wore about right here, right? Remember that? I walked in day, somebody had the drawers show. I was like, boy, pull your drawers up, man, in church. Come on. That's just how we talk here at Thrive. If I see you with your draw, I'd say, pull your pants, your drawers are showing. I remember in high school one day, <laughs> there was this guy who always wore them like down here. And I wore really long shirts and like, and, and, I mean, he had to work hard to do that. And he, and he walked funny, man. He was like, like a penguin. <laughs> I mean, you gotta, you gotta work hard to, to do that stuff. And so one day he got in a fight with a, a couple other guys and he threw something at them and they took off running and he took off running <laughs> and he literally, he, and he had no belt on. He kept trying to pull his pants up and he fell. And those guys beat the tar out of him right there at school. I mean, beat the tar out of him. Now, y'all laugh, but when you don't have truth in your life, you look just like that guy in your walk with Jesus. You look goofy and awkward, and you're always falling over because you don't have the belt of truth holding everything together. And, and truth is so essential. And so when you're facing a situation, the thing that you've got to ask the Lord is, what is your truth in this situation? I know how I feel. I know what my friend said. I know what the uh, what media says. I know what people say. I know what the magazine says. But God, what is your truth in this situation? Because some of us sabotage our lives because we really don't receive truth. We believe lies. Oh, my spouse just doesn't love me or like me anymore. No, that's, that's, that's a lie. And you've got to allow the truth of, of Jesus to enter a situation and help you. If not, you're going to be running just like that boy around and falling down all the time and looking goofy. The belt of truth holds it all together. Here's the second point this morning. Don't you look in your notes here. The body armor of righteousness. The body armor of the breastplate of righteousness. And Paul says, and the body armor of God's righteousness there. Now realize that piece went over your torso and protected from your belt up to your torso and your back. Because those those are vital organs, right? I mean, I could cut your pinky off and you would live, correct? If I stab you in your heart, you're going to die. And so it protected you there. And so Paul chooses to use the term, the body armor of righteousness. Not only will you be attacked in areas of truth and deception, because Satan's a deceiver, but where he's going to deceive you at the most is in righteousness. See, the gospel is this. Jesus Christ, God came in the flesh. He lived He died on the cross. He was buried. Three days later, he rose again from the dead as Lord and Savior, ascended into heaven. He will come back again for us. And he is the Lord of all. There is no other compared to him. That's the gospel. Okay? Once you trust Christ as your Savior and Lord, you're in right standing with God. If you've raised your hand to thrive and prayed that prayer with us, and you've believed upon Christ, and you've called upon the name of the Lord to be saved, you are a believer. You have righteousness. Now what does righteousness mean? Right standing with God. And one thing that you'll find the enemy attacking you in, he'll try to get you to have right standing with God through good things that you do. If I, and here, here's the litmus test. If I asked you right now, let's say that you, um, you know, went to see the Lord. You, you died and you stood in front of Jesus. He said, why should I let you into my kingdom? If you're like, man, I'm a good person. I do good things. I go to church. I give money. None of that gets you into heaven. Do you understand that? There's one thing that gets you in. When you look at Jesus in the eyes, you say, 
You lived, you died, you rose again, you washed away my sins, you finished the work, I trusted you as Savior, you are my Lord, and I thank you for your righteousness. That's the only way you'll get into heaven. It's not because how good you are. It's not because how much you've done. And what will happen is this. You will have bad days as a Christian, right? Do you understand that? There's days like, you'll leave church fired up. I've got the armor. Oh, yeah. Some of y'all went to a women's conference this weekend. You're ready to charge hell with a water pistol. And you'll walk out the door. You'll walk out the door. And the moment you got the door, some knuckleheads will post on something on Facebook or, or Twitter or send you a text message. And you're already depressed. And you're going to respond to them and be mean to them, right? Now, now you don't do it, but maybe your friend or your neighbors. And then you start feeling like, man, do I even know Jesus? Am I really even saved? Man, I don't know if I can even serve the Lord anymore, man. I, don't, I just don't know. I don't know if I really know Jesus. I just, and you get this place where you are basing your standing with God on things that you do, not, not what he did for you. You're going to have up and down. That's what forgiveness is for. And, and if you're saying, well, uh, my works will, will, you know, will, will prove to God that, that, I'm, that I'm, I'm, I'm a believer. Let me just say this. Do you know even your works, if you're a follower of Jesus, is produced by God himself in you? Check this out. Paul said, it's not I that labor, but the grace of God that labors in me. See, when you, when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. Any good that you do, he's empowering you to do it. Isn't that awesome? So y'all like, oh, Pastor Kevin, good job. It's the grace of God in me doing this. I just made myself available. I'm like the talking donkey in the Bible. And that's the truth of the gospel is when you submit yourself to the Lord and you say, God, use me. And then his grace works to you. So when you stand in front of Jesus, if, 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 if I stood in front of Christ and said, all right, Lord, I'm here. I couldn't use works because even his works he produced them in me. I just made myself available. Isn't that beautiful? Either you will live by works-based righteousness or you'll live by imputed righteousness, which is God will give you right standing by what Jesus did or you'll try to get right standing with God by what you can do. And this will be a sad thing if you stand in front of God one day and say, hey, I was good enough. He'll say, were you perfect? No. Well, Jesus was and you didn't choose to accept his perfect life for you. I mean, think about that. I mean, when I was a kid, let me say it this way. When I was a kid, I was a bad kid. I was a terrible kid. I told the Sunday school teacher I love Satan. I would punch holes through Jesus' eyes. I would tie kids' shoes together under the table while the Sunday school lesson was going on. I was a bad kid. I spent more time in ISS than I did in class. I was bad. But you know what the teachers would do, do to me? They would make me the teacher's pet. I mean, I was terrible. And they'd say, Kevin, come sit up beside of me and you can be my helper. If you know you're the teacher's helper, you're not a good kid. The teacher's helper is probably... And I, you know what? When I'd sit up there and be the teacher's helper, I'd be happy. I'm like, yeah, man. And I would start acting right. Because the teacher approved me and she, she received me in. And then, so then I began to act right out of that and wanted to help her because of that. And there were some kids in class that wanted to be the teacher's helper by doing a bunch of good stuff. And they never got there. That's the same thing is true about the gospel. When you were dead in sins and trespasses, God chose you when you were at your worst to come be along his side and to help him in, in his ministry and his work. Isn't that beautiful? And then see, you don't work so God will approve you. You work because he's already approved you. That's
That's the gospel. He's, you are in right standing with God because of that. So the enemy is going to attack you in the area of righteousness. So when the enemy comes at you, and he says, you're not really saved. You don't really know Jesus. You can firmly look the, the devil in the eye and you don't really see him. But you know, just speaking figuratively here. Some of y'all will leave and try to do that. And it's not your spouse. Um, you can look the devil in the eye and you can say, I am right with God because of what Jesus Christ has done for me on the cross. Not because of what I can do on earth. I had a buddy named Damien. Damien passed away in 2008. Pastor Keith knows Damien very well. And Damien always struggled with this idea of righteousness. He would come to me, he'd be like, Pastor Kev, man, I just don't know if I'm even saved anymore. It's like, Damien, he's on the worship team, everything. I'm like, Damien, are you, what's going on, man? And he'd uh, be like, well, man, I, I stumped my toe and I thought about saying a bad word. It's pretty good, Damien. I mean, I, high five. He's like, no, nah, man, I just don't, think, I don't think God loves me anymore, man. I just don't, and every week I'd pray with Damien, he'd come back again. I was his youth pastor. Every week, it's like, Damien, come on, dude. We saw him for months. Months. And finally one day, Damien shows up, he has this big smile on his face. He's just, he says, Pastor Kev, I got it. I understand God's grace now. And he does it, and Damien always did this. And Damien, from that point on, would talk about how good God's grace was to him. And he was happy because he knew that God received him and God accepted him. And that was beautiful to see Damien do this whole, instead of, and I believe if many of us knew of the imputed righteousness that God's given us, we'd be going instead of all the time. See, Damien was killed several months later in a car wreck after that. And it was sad losing a friend, but I pictured Damien standing in front of Jesus going, I got it. <laughs> and when I get to heaven, I'll see Damien, I'm like, I'm like. And that's my prayer for you today when you leave this sermon is that, that when you're attacked in the area of righteousness, in the area that he's going to attack you the most in, where the body armor covers, which is righteousness, that you can look and say, nah, devil, I got it. I am God's child. I am his. Here's your third point this morning. The shoes of the gospel of peace. The shoes of the gospel of peace. Look at verse 15. Paul says, for shoes put on the peace, say peace, that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. You'll be fully prepared. Now, realize that there is no peace like peace that comes from the gospel. When you're made right with God, because of what Jesus has done for you. That, there's a peace that passes, as Paul says in Philippians, all understanding. And what he says here is, when you're going into battle, you're going into that evil day Paul spoke of, or whatever that evil day is for you, the times when trials are the worst, he says, put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. That means this here, some of you judge peace by absence of, absence of conflict. That's how the world judges peace. Oh, I'm at such peace right now. That means you have nothing going on, right? <laughs> but for a believer, peace is not a situation. It's a person named Jesus. And no matter what you walk into, you can have peace in any situation you go into because Jesus has redeemed you and he's with you in any situation that you're in. We, we can't judge peace, but I mean, you will never see peace from a spouse. Your spouse can't give you peace. Your job can't give you peace. 
people can't give you peace. And what we have to learn as believers, when you go into those, the roughest situations you've ever gone into, you can walk into those things with peace saying, I have no fear for I know who my Lord is. He's walking with me through this situation because the enemy will attack your peace more than anything thing else. And let me tell you this, peace prepares you for battle. It does. That when you walk into those situations, to be at a place of peace when you walk into them is beautiful. Have you ever done that before? Like, you know, you walk into a fight with your spouse and you're like, man, I'm at peace. I'm cool. And she thinks you've been smoking pot or something. It's like, nah, I got a piece of Jesus. I've not been doing anything. I ain't been taking any drinks. I got, got Jesus. It's beautiful. And let me tell you something. Many of you and many of believers in America, we live by worry, anxiety, and fear. And you can't go into battles doing what God's called you to do, living by worry, anxiety, and fear. You've got to walk into them with peace, knowing that God has gone before you. He's prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Peace. Here's the fourth point this morning. And let me say this before I get to the fourth point. There are six pieces of armor. You may not remember all six when you leave here, but one of these is for you. As I'm going through this, one of these is going to hit you. When it does, you can get up and leave. No, I'm kidding. I'm joking. Because <laughs> you're like, man, point one was mine. That was mine right there. Woo, praise the Lord. Yeah. Throwing offerings out on the way out. Um, but, but seriously, one of these is for you. Make sure that you grab on to whatever that is and all week long use that point. Here's, here's number four right here. The shield of faith. He says, in addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Now, I didn't understand this, this verse here until I watched Lord of the Rings. Don't look at me like that. I know y'all be watching those movies too, Lord of the it was, hey, The guy who wrote it was a Christian, J.R. Tolkien, who was mentored by C.S. Lewis, who wrote uh, the, the Chronicles of Narnia. Now keep judging me. So anyway, on the, the Lord of the Rings, um, one of the battles they had was the, all the, the, the enemies were, were coming forward to, to, the, to the castle. And the guys took these arrows that had fire on the end of them. Ever seen that in the movies? They put all the fire. They're all lined up. And they say, ready, fire. And they let it go. Well, when they start coming, here's what the other opponent does of the army. They lean down with their shields. They put their shields over their head. And all the fiery arrows hit those shields and bounce off. You get that? It's like that sound effect. That's pretty good. That's like the guy on Police Academy almost. And so, uh, show my age, aren't I? Um, so at any rate, yeah, some of y'all young people are like, what's Police Academy? What's he talking about? What's Lord of the Rings? Uh, where are we at? Uh, some of the young folks in here. But realize that's what it's like for you and I. It's almost like, have you ever been where where it's almost like all these fiery arrows are coming at you? I mean, the car breaks down. The kid's in trouble at school. You got a bad doctor's report. You got a check that bounced. I mean, have you ever had those days like everything goes wrong? Okay, good. I mean, somebody does. I mean, the sermon stinks at church. I mean, how how much worse can it get? But what Paul is saying there, when those things come and everything's coming at you and all these things are coming, you just see a barrage of that. Paul says you've got to hold up the shield of faith to just stand through the battle that you're going through. And what is the shield of faith? 
It's trusting God in any circumstance that he is your protector and that he will work all things out together for the good of those who love him or are called according to his purpose in Romans 8, 28 and 29 to conform you to the image of Christ. Meaning when those arrows come, you can say, God, I trust you. I don't have to pout on Facebook. I don't have to run to these friends that keep giving me bad advice. I can put my shield up and I can trust you that I can stand during this attack and I will stand up because I trust you. It's the shield of faith. The shield of faith. See, some of y'all never been through anything, so you don't have to worry about this. But I'm telling you, it, it comes. And here's a promise that you need to quote. Instead of pouting on social media and, you know, and having me defriend you all the time. Um, Isaiah 59, 19 says this. I, I'm being serious though, guys. I mean, think about it. We, we want pity parties when God's given us promises. We throw pity parties in the areas where God's given us promises at. And look at this in Isaiah 59, 19. He says, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the darts coming, the arrows coming, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. When you're having things come at you, throw the pity party balloons away, uh, throw the cake away, and quote this scripture saying, Lord, I know when the enemy comes in like a flood, your spirit will set up a standard against him. That's a promise God's given. Isn't that beautiful? And that's trusting God when those things come at you. Here's number five, the helmet of salvation. He says, put on salvation as your helmet. In that day and time, can I share something with you? If you got hit in the head, you were gone. There was no trauma unit back in the first century. You get that. There's no untold stories of the ER. You <laughs> saying it's wild stuff, right? There was none of that. If you got hit in the head, you were done. Uh, there was no brain surgeons back then. So the helmet was key for you. And the helmet protects what? Your, your head. What's in between your ears and not earwax? What's in between your ears? A brain. And in that brain's your mind. And I can, if, if I bet and I don't, I guarantee that your greatest battle comes in your mind. The thoughts that pass through our mind on the daily break. I mean, right now, some of y'all think about something totally different and you're listening to me at the same time. Your grocery list is on your mind. And your, your mind is amazing. But I'm telling you something, if you don't protect your mind, if you don't protect that part there, you will begin to be led by thoughts that are not of the Lord. And one of the things here, he says the helmet of salvation. And let me explain that to you real quick. Salvation, the word salvation literally means here to pull out of and put into. Okay, you get that? It's a word that's used multiple times in the New Testament. To pull out of and put into. For instance, in your spiritual salvation, Jesus rescued you from the kingdom of darkness, pulled you out, and put you into the kingdom of his dear son. Colossians says that, right? Now, it goes beyond just, that's not the only thing that it means, just spiritual salvation. For instance, when Peter was walking on the water to Jesus, remember Jesus is on the water walking, and Peter's walking to him, and Peter fell in the water? What did Peter say? Jesus, save me. He was not asking Jesus to kneel down and say the sinner's prayer with him while he was drowning. You know what he was saying? Help! He was drowning. If you've ever, I almost drowned last summer at the beach. It's not fun. He wanted someone to help him in his time of need and time. He needed someone to pull him out of the water and help put him in the boat. Same way it's spiritual salvation. You pull out of, you put into. And you've got to realize something about, about our good God. He's a deliverer. 
And some of you are drowning in financial debt that you've put in place. And you're crying out to the Lord, help. And Jesus wants to help you. He's your deliverer. See, if you don't realize, if you're drowning and don't realize you have a deliverer, you can't put on the helmet of salvation. Some of you in your marriage are like, man, it's falling apart. I don't know what to do. And you need to cry out to the Lord and he will deliver you in that situation. Just like the, the three Hebrew boys who were in the fiery furnace. Jesus showed up in the middle of it and delivered them from that situation. And the only way you're going to stay sane when you're drowning in the things of life is realizing that our good God is a deliverer. We all focus on, well, Peter took his eyes off Jesus and he fell in the water. Yeah, that's true. But you know what the beautiful thing is? Keep your eyes on Jesus. You will never keep your eyes on Jesus all the time. You're going to fall in the water. You know the good thing about Jesus is? He doesn't scold you when you do. He picks you up by the back of your neck. I just picture him snatching Peter up like a kid and putting him in that boat. The helmet of salvation. He is your deliverer when you're drowning in a situation that you're facing. I want you to realize this here, that Job, the worst day that anyone ever had was the day that Job had. Okay, if you, if you don't know that, that, read the book of Job. Dude had a bad day. And even in the attack, God was protecting him and keeping him safe. That's the promise that we have from our good God. And that's the only thing that will keep you sane. And here's your final point this morning. And we'll close the book of Ephesians right here with this this week. The sword of the Spirit. And he says this. He says, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Now, something interesting about the wording that he uses here. I want you to to follow me here. Now, we believe the Bible, the 66 books, is the Word of God. We believe that as as followers of Jesus, all right? But the word that Paul uses for the Word of God here is not the same word that means the canon of Scripture. He uses two words. That's the word Paul uses called logos. It means a written record or account when Paul uses that from Greek. So he uses this other word called rhema. So when he's saying this, just follow me here. When he says this here, he says, and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which is the rhema of God. What that means is this. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The rhema word of God is God speaking to you personally by his spirit. The only way you can be able to fend off the attacks of the enemy is not getting me or Pastor Elise or Peter or Kath or anybody else in this church pray for you all the time. You've got to know what the Lord is saying to you in, in the situation that you're going through. I mean, think about it. Who preaches to me each week? The Holy Spirit does. I sit down and I read his word and I journal. And when I'm going through a tough time, I listen and say, God, speak to me in this situation. I want to know what you're saying. And he doesn't say like, Kevin, here's what you do. It's usually I feel an impression from the Lord. And I'll journal that impression now. I mean, it's just a a, a sense. So it's not like a booming voice from heaven and God said. You know, it's not that. But I'm telling you something. The only way that you can make advances against the enemy with the sword is to know what the Lord's saying to you through his word. And Paul says, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I close here with this. You'll find no better encourager than the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, he's been given to us. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he's not the guy who just makes services crazy. That's what you've heard, right? Let the Holy Spirit loose and make sure everything crazy. The Holy Spirit's been given to us as the comforter, teacher, counselor, 
He's that still small voice that's speaking to you when it's time to forgive someone. He's a still small voice speaking to you. You know when it's time to, to love someone who's unlovable. The God's given us his spirit. Isn't that beautiful? And man's encouragement will only go so far. But God's encouragement will bring you through situations that no person ever could. And so Paul says, finally, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. As you read the written Word, let the Holy Spirit speak to you a personal word for your life. Say, that's crazy, Kevin. I don't believe that. That's Christianity. We, We believe God. We have access to God through Jesus. That's Christianity. And we believe God can help us and speak to us through the power of His Spirit in any situation possible. Now, as you leave this place today, I want you to realize something. You're going to face attacks. You're going to come everywhere, all types of places. But you've got to realize that by virtue of Jesus, you have armor that he's given you. You don't have to be beat to a pulp. You don't have to walk around pitiful and depressed and discouraged. God has given you armor. And what you need to do this week is take these notes home with you and you need to pray and say, God, what area is the enemy attacking me in? And it, maybe it's the, the, the breastplate of righteousness. Maybe, you, you know, you've just been vacillating whether or not you even know Jesus. Or maybe it's the shoes of peace. Maybe it's the belt of truth. Whatever it is for you, allow the Lord to speak to your life and encourage you to fight off the enemy. Why? So that when it's all said and done, you can be standing firm. That's the people I want around me who've been through it. And you look at them and the dust settles after the doctor's reports and after the financial devastations and after problems with marriage. And they're standing firm. They're not running. They're not laying down. They're standing. Paul quotes something from the Old Testament. I want you to watch this as I close here. Isaiah 59, 17 says, He put on righteousness as his breastplate. This is from the Old Testament. Sounds just like what we just read, right? Isn't that cool? The helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in a zeal as in a cloak. Meaning this here, when Paul was writing this stuff about armor, you know where he got it from? Isaiah 59. That's amazing. And when he writes it from Isaiah 59 point of view, where he reads it from there, it says that Jesus put on righteousness. Meaning this, guys. Jesus is your armor. You need to wake up in the morning and thank Christ that he's your truth, that he's your peace. You don't get, God doesn't give you peace. He is peace. God doesn't give you truth. He is truth against the deceptive lies of the enemy. Isn't that beautiful? So when you wake up tomorrow morning and say, Jesus, I thank you that you're my armor. I know the enemy is going to attack me in these areas, but I choose to receive the protection you've given me in my life. 